Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to Laptop Coaches where we interview professionals in the sports industry and outline their journey, their current role, their sporting beliefs or what they're passionate about and their tips to our audience. This week's podcast guest is John Feely. John is the owner of Functional Gut Fitness, a business focused on personalised fitness coaching. John also holds a BSc in Sport and Exercise Management. Functional Gut Fitness has lifted off the ground quite quickly and John attributes his research-based approach to a lot of this early success. Today I picked John's brain about health and fitness, we look at what regular PTs are doing wrong and we analyse in high detail fitness in sport, specifically football. Take out a pen and paper, take plenty of notes, and most importantly, enjoy. Why sport and exercise? Why are you into this thing? Sport and exercise. Um, I played a lot of sport when I was younger. Um, I suppose through that, kind of developed into, you know, a love and an interest in every kind of area of sport so you know what makes someone good at sport you know how how can they get the edge in sport how does how does sports and exercise management and the science of it lead into performance in you, the sport you played for Galway underage didn't you um I played I think it was under 14 soccer for Galway the actual Galway team yeah yeah what was that like it was Probably, um, probably not the highest standard as highest standard as it sounds like, and probably not as high a standard as I thought it was at the time. Yeah, well, like there'd be with the League of Ireland underage now and stuff like that. You like Galway would be a not a force in there, but they'd definitely be a good team. So, like, you would have been in and around that level. If if it was now at that time in this time, so what like it was, it still would have been even if you're being modest about it. Just for the record, audience, John is a very modest character. He's even smiling at me now through the screen. But tell me, what was the coaching like? Knowing what you know now in terms of sport and exercise, in terms of conditioning, in terms of how coaches should behave, in terms of what they should know, what was it like back then? Um. I suppose well I I don't think I don't think it was terrible. I definitely don't think it was terrible. It wasn't anywhere near what it could be like give me some say, specifics. Like let's say with with a little bit of kind of learning or you know a bit of understanding maybe about like the research around you know best practice around training um specifically for soccer. I think a little bit of that would have gone a long way, but I think I think the coaches that we had, um, because it wasn't you know the lowest level, it was they they had you know I suppose a, a natural instinct as to what was maybe not the worst thing to do. It mightn't have been the best thing to do, but it you know is is it definitely I think it, it fit the purpose of what we were doing. You know, yeah. It could have been better, you know, with a little bit of a little bit of learning and a little bit of an understanding, I think. So just to give the audience something, John, what we're going to talk about today will be specific, hopefully at some stage, to sport-specific fitness. Do you think, just to give the audience maybe some hope or maybe to give them not any hope, do you think this is easily obtainable for anyone who wants it out there, this information, to help maybe optimise strength and conditioning or to optimise sport fitness? in a sporting sense, for regular coaches, the regular coaches coaching under 12s, under 13s, maybe even a senior team. Do you think this is easily obtainable to go in that right direction? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, in my opinion, it's, it's easily obtainable to get a good grasp of, let's say, the main principles. So, yeah. you know, what, let's just say there's, you know, five or 10 key principles that, you know, all coaches should know, and maybe they don't even have to go too deep into them. They just have to have a kind of high level understanding and know what they are. 
you know, and know know what area they apply to. Um, and I suppose the potential upside and the benefits of implementing those principles. I think I think um, I think it probably does take a, a good bit of initiative on, on their part, you know, but I, I think the information is out there, but maybe not in maybe not in a way that is kind of readily available to to someone who doesn't want to spend hours, you know, reading this stuff or listening to this stuff or learning about this stuff. Well, we're going to make it easier for them, John, aren't we? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's our exactly. plan. John, that actually brings me on to my next, talking about making it easier for people out there, not just coaches, but just regular people to understand what this, about specific fitness and about building muscle and about getting fit. Tell me about your business. Tell the audience about your business. Yeah, so so basically, um, I've been working as a personal trainer, so just in a kind of general population um, type of group. You know, so that's putting on a bit of muscle or losing a bit of weight or, you know, gaining strength or whatever it is, the kind of typical stuff. Um, but in in recent times, just in the last maybe six to nine months, um, I've started focusing on the group, the kind of, kind of gut issues and specifically IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. So for these, for these kind of people, it's, you know, fitness can be a little bit different and those kind of things like gaining muscle, gaining strength or whatever it is, they can be a little bit different. Um, they can be a little bit harder sometimes just because of things that are going on in the background and the effects of whatever their kind of gut issues are. But, um, but yeah, so I, I suppose I'm applying, I'm applying the, the stuff that I have found and that I know from the general population in that population specifically now. And that's a bit of a tricky area. I, I talked to a, a mate of mine, has a, he has a master's in nutrition and he looks into that sort of thing. He said that can be a tricky area to get into. Tell me about that, IBS. Yeah, tricky area in terms of fitness to get into, explore. Yeah, yeah. You you mean for someone with IBS, you know, developing their fitness can be tricky. No, even even for a PT to go, you know what? I'm going to specialize in this. Tell me, tell me what's the main ingredient? What, why, what, what? How can you help? Obviously, from your own maybe personal looking into it, but what is the main thing that differentiates it? And what what makes you uh, eligible to go in and look at IBS? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I've like I've had IBS for a good number of years now, um, you know, and in in periods of that, uh, you know, I've kind of got it, you know, well managed and under control. Yeah. So I, just, I you know, I have that kind of personal experience on the IBS side specifically, and then obviously on the fitness side. But, uh, you know, let's say you're working with someone with IBS and they whatever their goals are, um, you know, in whatever kind of fitness domain, the, the reasons or the main reasons that it's going to be a little bit different than someone in the general population really is going to be around like what their body can tolerate. So, you know, whether, whether that's kind of the physical side or the mental side, um, someone with IBS and, you know, definitely someone that has IBS with their symptoms kind of flaring up during that period, what their body can tolerate is, is different. And I suppose there is a number of kind of um, strategies that you can put in place to, you know, kind of overcome yeah. those, those um, you know, challenges with, within, um, you know, within their own bodies. And I suppose there's the mental side of it as well, you know. Um, Absolutely. Get, you know, get getting the right mindset in place. Um, you know, to to actually tackle this and to actually you know progress in whatever domain they're in. Now, see the way you are focusing on that, John, and I know even focusing on that. Me and John go back a long time into college together. Um, tell me, and this this brings it back to college, and maybe why you are able to focus in on IBS now and give reasoning for most of what you do, what you prescribe to your, say, your um, customers. 
why is why is research key to you yeah well i mean why is research key in doing what you do as a business academic yeah. research well I, academic research like it's it has to be the base of everything you do so why you know, for for regular coaches out there for people even getting away from ibs and talking about that now why is academic research why does it have to be the base because a lot of people john as you notice as well don't follow academic research they don't use it they think they're better off they can wing stuff and they don't need to use it yeah. well, why is it tell from an industry professional why is it important the way the way i i would describe the opposite of what you're saying there so like the opposite of what you're saying is getting your information from the likes of whatever instagram or youtube or whatever it is from from people who tiktok or tiktok from people who get, also get their information from youtube facebook or tiktok or instagram whatever like there there is like the top guys are on instagram now just because instagram is is massive and obviously they're on youtube but it's just distinguishing between them and you know the people who are getting their information on these platforms as well. But the way I would the way I would distinguish it is, uh, you know, the people who aren't uh, providing their service or you know providing their their knowledge from academic research. It's like you know when you're a teenager and you're going to meet up with your, with your friends. And your friends are giving advice and they're you're yeah. talking about whatever. And, you know, your friends are saying, do this, do that, whatever, you know, do, do three sets of five on, on <laughs> you know, and that's, that's gospel when you're that age, but it's the same kind of principle when you're getting your information from something like Instagram, from someone who, you know, who doesn't get their information from academic research. So you know, research has to be the foundation of, um, you know, the the knowledge that you're gaining. So whether that be, whether that be you're looking at papers yourself, or you know, you're maybe you're you're listening to a podcast that, you know, uses information based on academic research, or, you know, whether you're listening to maybe one of the researchers or reading one of their you know kind of breakdowns of their papers or whatever it is but academic research has to be the base because if it's not you know what you're doing and the service you're providing and the information that you're given is not going to be it's not going to be accurate and an attack there are some great personal trainers out there that there, there has to be you know what i mean if there's if there's good ones though unfortunately there are bad ones and because it's such a popular industry at the moment a lot of bad, not even personal trainers, a lot of even sports-specific strength and conditioning quote, coaches, quote-unquote. A lot of sports-specific fitness coaches come in who, some of them are really good, but like I said, some of them aren't so good. John, what distinguishes you? What differentiates you from those other fitness professionals? And it can be to do with research. Well, I suppose, first of all, there's probably a few reasons. Like, I agree with you that there's definitely good and bad. Probably a lot of bad just because it's so unre unregulated. But yeah. I think you have to distinguish between the different types of, you know, bad trainers. Like, why are they bad? So, like, some of them, some of them just don't have any interest or whatever. Some of them don't really have any background. Um, and you know therefore knowledge really and you know some of them just don't some of them are the people who get their information from you know instagram or TikTok but would you or say that's a big problem oh yeah absolutely. you say that's I, for me looking in on the inside john i'm having a look and even when i see it with coaches and they see a, they see a good a good session on twitter and they're like yeah i'll take that that's amazing and it's it's or they see Bayern munich doing a warm-up and all they're doing is running through cones and running through the end and they have to understand that Bayern Munich are showing that for a reason. Bayern Munich can afford to show that. Bayern Munich aren't going to share their personal information but they yeah. see this They see this session and they go, yes this is what we have to do to get to the top and that's obviously what people see with in terms of fitness when people see 
really strong looking people who are probably on steroids doing a certain workout and they're going, yeah, well, if you do that workout, it's going to equal that. Yeah. Well, that that's the other thing. But like, if, if you, like, if someone sees something on Twitter or whatever it is, like they have to take that, they have to look at that in the context of, you know, everything that's going on around it. And that's impossible if you just see one picture, one video. So like, you know, if, if you see Bayern Munich doing a, a training session, you know, no matter what they're doing, that could be that could be great, but it, it might look it might look silly. But in the context of what they did before and in the context of what they're gonna be doing in the next weeks and months. So context you're saying is everything. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, if you see someone let's say you see a trainer put up a, a session on, on Instagram or whatever it is, you know, a single session uh without any context like that's even if it's the best session in the whole world you know it well it can't be the best session in the whole world if there's no context around it so like yeah you know you can apply you can apply progressive overload in any way you want and that session may fit into some some stage of that um of that sequence or that cycle you know but if that's just yeah, I guess, uh, yeah. Yeah, if that's just a, a session, a standalone session on its own, without any progressive overload, if it's the best session in the world, it's you know, it's it's not going to be, it's going to be useless really without everything that goes along with it. And tell me, John, just to summarise that, just to get back because we go off topic, we do, we chat away and all that. What differentiates you? Summarise it for me in two, three sentences from other personal trainers, from other fitness professionals. Well, I suppose there's a there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Like number one, which is what we've been talking about, is just the research. Um, research many people background. use research in that field. I know we were talking about Instagram, TikTok, but do many people put in the hard work, go through the academic papers, and see what works and what doesn't according to actual scientific research? It, well, if you're talking personal trainers, definitely not. Like I think, I think. Probably a big thing for personal trainers is, you know, the personal trainers want steady clients and a steady stream of clients. And, you know, often, oftentimes um, effective training sessions and effective training programs, you know, they're not the, not the sexiest thing in the world. Like they don't, they don't, they don't really, sometimes now they don't um, look as exciting at some periods like because you know if you're let's say you're let's say you have a 12 week program and like the program that you've been on for the last 12 weeks or so yeah you know it's it's rare that you're actually really going to failure and it's rare that you're really maxing out and it's it's rare that you're kind of testing your body and seeing what you can do and to a lot of people you know that's not very that's not very exciting but then you know the reward for that or the the flip side of that is that by the end of the program because you've you know you've uh, followed each step according to research then you get your results at the end and that's the exciting bit but i think for personal trainers because they need that steady steady stream of clients or they want that steady stream of clients like a 12-week program there has to be a lot of excitement within that 12 weeks Uh, for instant gratification yeah for clients to stick with them and also i mean if they're if they're putting up sessions on on instagram uh like client sessions those sessions need to be exciting they need to look the part yeah yeah they need to look like they're improving in that workout whereas in reality you know they're not going to improve you know as an industry just now it just comes to my head we as a sport and as an industry the sports kind of uh industry we've really moved away from actual results haven't we and more because of a lot of it because of social media and we've really yeah. moved into an area where we just need to instantly please people and that can be almost the most important thing especially yeah. with fitness professionals like mm. even well, coaches, so- coaches to a certain extent post things on their pages just to make it look good, make them look like they're working really hard. Yeah, I mean the other the other side of it, I'm not, I can't really speak to to coaches as much with with this, but but certainly in personal training, like 
a lot of a lot of people who would see themselves as good salesmen and saleswomen, they would get into personal training just because you mm. know to be a successful personal trainer, sales um, the ability to sell is, is big, and obviously you know if if you're too if you're if you're too far on that side rather than the actual ability to you know provide good service you know it's not going to work out in terms of results you know you're going to get your clients and you're going to have no problem getting your clients you're going to have a lot of clients but in 12 weeks time or in you know six months time or whatever it is the results may not come yeah i understand but sure look we're kind of on the other end of the spectrum we're, we're trying to bring it back down there and we're going to try we're trying to give factual information and kind of getting away from that sales kind of technique and bring people back just to general focus and that brings us in to this key part john this key part of the presentation and i want you to debunk loads of myths here for me i want you to tell me all about what you know about it to the best of your ability and we're going to start off non-specific, but I want you to tell me about sports conditioning. Tell me some myths about it. Tell me some truths about it. Debunk loads of myths. And just, just tell me what you know. Share with the audience what you know. Sports conditioning. Well, I suppose when Start you're looking... Start off wherever you want. It's a blank canvas. You can do When you're you looking want. at sports conditioning, like, obviously sport is a very, very wide... You know that that encompasses a lot of different activities and a lot of different movements, and you know. Um, but really, for any sport, no matter what it is, you need to you need to do some sort of an analysis on what is specifically needed in that sport. You know, so Let's what talk it, about football, soccer. Okay, yeah. So in soccer, like you're gonna you're gonna need to look first of all at each position. So each position is different, and that's probably something that's not really talked about that much in in soccer um you know like a, a winger let's say an, an attacking winger um you know he's gonna be he's probably gonna look very different and he, his ability you know, his physical ability and his physical uh breakdown is gonna be it should be very different from like a center back or like a goalkeeper you know something like that tell uh, me more about that there well, in my opinion, anyway, like uh, if you look at you know Traore, who plays who's for, that? Who's Traore? Plays for Wolves, didn't he? Adama Traore. Yeah. The Everybody knows what Adama Traore looks like. If you don't know what Adama Traore looks like, Google him right now. Say Adama Traore, and just say something like I don't know, body or a gym after. Yeah. And you everyone see exactly what he looks like. Get a get a recent picture. Get a picture in the last few years as well. <laughs> but uh, boy, isn't he? I'm not saying like every winger has to look like him, but he's clearly extremely powerful and extremely John, explosive. Would you though, just I'm going to push on a little bit more. Would you though, in terms of being an absolute optimist in terms of going into the gym and setting, if you were to go into a sports specific situation and set up a winger to work in the gym, would you try and make that uh, person look like Adama Traore? No. I wouldn't try and make him look like Adama Shore, but he, depending on where he starts from, there like it is likely that he would look more like Adama Shore than when he started. As a winger, in as football. a winger, yeah. So there you go, audience. If you're a winger, or if you know, if you want to design a program for your wingers, tell them to just look at Adama Shore and look like that. But like he, th this guy, this guy clearly has these genetics that like no matter what he does, yeah. like if he did, if he did bodybuilding, he'd be a beast. If he did CrossFit, he'd be a beast. If he played tennis, he'd be a beast. Like you know, yeah. no matter what he does, he would look like a beast. But I, what I'm saying is the like forget about what he looks like and think about what his uh, his specific ability levels uh in kind of each component of fitness there and that's that's what you should be looking at so like you know let's let's say his obviously his power his explosive power you know that's something that all how would you work on that in the gym john let's go through it one by one so his explosive power yeah explosive 
explosive power uh two the main two ways i would work on that number one is plyometrics so that's going to be any kind of jumps and hops um you know there's a lot of different variations within um the kind of umbrella of plyometrics but yeah. basically yeah any any kind of any kind of plyometric training then uh like resistance training or weight training where your emphasis are is on uh rate of force development so your emphasis is really on moving the weight fast um mainly through the concentric part of the movement so say if you're doing so concentric doing, is on the way back up isn't it say for a squat on on squat it is yeah so let's say you're doing a squat you might um you well you might even like you get down to the bottom of the squat let's say it's a bodyweight squat you get down to the bottom you might even jump when you get to the top so that's just a jump squat or if you're using weight you might just get from the bottom so you know when your when your hips are low to the top you might just you know complete that movement as fast as you can um and then depending on like you know training age and experience and ability and things like that maybe some sort of olympic weightlifting as well would be great okay. for power power development and olympic weightlifting yeah i mean the thing with olympic weightlifting is it is it is a skill that takes a lot of you know it takes a lot of time to to develop and to actually get to the point where you're doing it properly but like everything there are regressions to it so instead of you know using a bar and doing you know heavy snatches or clean jerk or whatever it is uh you know maybe something like a dumbbell you know just a regression of of those exercises like a dumbbell yeah. or a kettlebell um you know they're going to be they're going to be helpful and really they're going to they're going to result in the same kind of um you know it, you're going to get the same results in terms of power and explosiveness and that kind of stuff and i'm a bit i'm a bit i'm more lean way towards psychology sort of things when i'm looking at sport and you you would be more you'd actually be a bit of master of uh, a jack of all trades with it but tell me so because it confuses me a bit and i know we kind of studied this in college but i'm still a bit not great on it what does this do to your body physically in terms of the physical mechanics? Just in terms of, if you had to summarize it, don't get too scientific with it. But what does all this, the Olympic weightlifting, the plyometrics, the fast movements when you go down and you jump up in your squat, what does that do to in your body, which makes you explosive, which makes you like a damatrior? Well, really you're working on your rate of force development. So in any of these kind of movements, you're basically just, working on getting getting your body from one place to another place as fast as possible okay so as that relates to a and to wingers and you know players in that those kind of positions you know that's gonna that's gonna equate to things like sprint speed to jumping so for headers things like that um you know e even to you know even to things like you know shielding your your opponent and you know, get into those positions fast. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, anything really in that position should be done fast. You know, if yeah. assuming, assuming the player is involved in the play, you know. Yeah, of course. And obviously the technical side will leave that to Jeff, who was on the week before, in terms of our last month even, will leave the technical side. So when John will get you to the ball and Jeff will get you doing stuff on the ball. That sounded about right, John. Perfect. Now tell me, I want to get on to more specific, position specific at the end. You might we might do a quick shoot through. So I'll go central defenders, you give me quick tips on that. I'll say strikers, you give me quick tips on that. And I even an interesting one. I have a presentation coming out on it this month, is with goalkeepers. And I'd actually be interested to see what you have to say about that. We'll go nicely with the presentation. But tell me this first, John. How is all this conditioning work done wrong? Because it is. It is to a certain extent. And you could even say it is in professional football clubs at times. How is it done wrong? And how do you know this information above those sort of characters? Yeah, well, I suppose like there's a few probably, there's probably a few things that are done wrong. I think if you take a step back and look at it from a general point of view, like the 
conditioning really it has to be as specific number one to the sport as possible but number two to the position as we said so like you know you really have to look at things like uh you know the let's say the aerobic capacity um or the aerobic capacity needs of the athlete the strength needs the power needs the agility needs um all those kind of all those kind of components of fitness and then look at how they match up with the actual sport so you know when the player is in their competition setting like their match or whatever it is like how long are they working for how long are they resting how often are they resting what are the specific movements and the specific uh you know physical actions um you know that they're they're completing what is the intensity of their movement and you know how does that vary like so you know how often are they at 90 how often are they at 20 etc um you know how many things like sprints how many sprints per minute how many jumps per minute all this kind of stuff so you have to get into the detail the minute detail like that and then you know once you have that information and once you have that data of everything i just listed there then fit that in as as closely as possible with um you know the the physical needs yeah. and physical components and then your training your training program is based around that so you're basically doing a kind of a needs analysis or like a gap analysis or whatever it is um another thing then that probably cer- certainly at the kind of lower levels um is strength training like strength training i think it's probably becoming popular now a little bit but it's it's probably not done you know 100% correctly mm-hmm. um the thing to remember with the strength training is like we were talking about there with the explosiveness or the power development is the you know any any kind of strength um you know any kind of base of strength and any kind of increase in strength is going to have a good like a positive impact on all other components of fitness so the stronger you are you know, I'm, i'm talking full body strength in your you know your main movements your your squatting your lunging your hinging you know pushing pulling whatever carrying the stronger you are in those movements the easier it's going to be to um to build your your power your explosiveness your agility your okay. top speed and does it make it easier your aerobic capacity everything it, it makes it easier because strength is is the base so take something like power uh you know for beginners let's say let's say you're starting strength training and you want or you're starting resistance training and you want to build your power mm-hmm. the, the two things that that research has found in power development number one rate of force development and number two is absolute strength so there there your two there your two factors uh in power development and the first one that comes there is strength so you need to build that strength and you need to learn the correct movements and the correct mechanics to use before you can start to you know complete these movements in you know you know in i suppose fat, faster and more powerful kind of ways yeah i yeah and that 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 summarizes it really well and I think that's really good for coaches to know now, especially coaching. This brings me on to my next question, John, especially for coaches at maybe a senior level, under 17s, under 18s level. Some coaches, hopefully, hopefully, if we're supported here, we have a big base in Ireland in terms of customers, in terms of players and coaches. But as we know in Ireland, John, and then you know this as well, sport is a somewhat a specifically soccer, which will hopefully be our main kind of audience is underdeveloped in rugby they have strength and conditioning coaches whether they're good or not is irrelevant they still have them there they have them in other sports that are maybe require a bit more money soccer is somewhat at the moment it's getting better but it's still somewhat underdeveloped if you're a coach john just a regular coach like i was um like jeff was before he did his degree and like any other coach out there How would you recommend for players for anyone to build muscle 
or strength to help them adapt or get better in their competition. Say a, say a player who is really good, but he's just, at the moment, he's a bit too lightweight. How does he build muscle, John? How does he get help himself? How does he go to the gym to get better? Yeah, well, the first thing that you're probably going to have to look at is what time in the season you're at. So obviously at different periods of the season, there's going to be different kind of intensities and different, um, you know, different demands are going to be placed upon your body through through matches and through through you know, training and... Let's do it for the average Joe Soap for the moment. Say he trains twice a week, plays his match on the Sunday. Yeah, well, I suppose in terms of putting on muscle, like you're going to, you're not going to be, you, you know, you're not going to be uh, focusing all your efforts on it. So you're, you're going to want to take only the the main principles and the most important principles and apply them you know, maybe two or three times a week, depending on a number of factors, like, you know, his his training age, his experience, his his goals, his, you know, his level, um, you know, his base of strength and, you know, his his existing level of muscle. Um, so, like, if it's someone who's coming to it completely new, twice yeah. a week resistance training, like two two sessions a week, full body, you know, hitting the main movement, so hitting like a, a squat, um, some sort of hamstring glute, like a hinge. Um, what would be a good hinge exercise? A hinge, well, I suppose RDL, but then again, if you're thinking of um, sports-specific, probably any kind of single-leg lower body stuff is going to be brilliant. So like a single-leg RDL would be great. And you have these on your Instagram page, don't you, showing them? Yeah, I have probably, yeah, I have probably most of them. Perfect. Um, then as you move as you move up the body, then you know a pull, a press, um, probably I suppose a horizontal press is probably going to be most applicable to soccer, just for you know shielding the ball and shielding shielding yourself from a. Give me a horizontal press. A horizontal press is anything like a bench press, same same position Perfect. as a bench press, or like a dip even, um, you know something like that, and then like a pull, like a you know, a barbell row, pull up, any kind of thing like that. And just hit those five exercises. What would be the rep range? So in terms of how many do they do? How many sets do they do? Yeah. So what I would, what I would do is keep the reps low. So like the higher the reps, all else being equal, you know, the more kind of muscle damage, you know, that will be induced and muscle damage is going to result in, you know, sore muscles. Yeah. yeah, so that, yeah. That's probably going to hinder, you know, the other components of your training. So if you're, if you're training sports specific, let's say on a Tuesday and Thursday, you know, you don't want to be sore going into those sessions. So keeping the volume relatively low, let's say in terms of rep ranges, let's say, you know, five to five to ten, something like that. And um, you know, you're in and you're out, and you're not spending too much time. You're you're taking plenty of rest. That is important. Um you know, and and the other the other thing as well is to make sure that you're kind of progressing this. So you're you're not hitting the same weights and the same rep 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 ranges, rest periods, um, even the same exercises for too long because there is a lot of you know variation in you know the exercises and the the options you have. Um, so to progress it. Um, and to change it up appropriately throughout the season because even even if it is someone who maybe isn't playing at the highest level yeah. they're still going to have you know differences in intensities and demands throughout the season you know towards the end of the season if they're in you know if they're having a, a cup run or whatever they're getting to quarterfinals or semifinals or whatever they're obviously going to have more games and potentially more training sessions so mm-hmm. You know, that's something to think about. Um, everyone, no matter what level they're at, they're going to have a break at some point in the season. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, taking a bit of a break is important, but maybe using some of that break as a period to build muscle will be, you know, it will be... And how do they do that then? How do they use that free time? Because a lot of kids have free time now, John, Then they'd like to go to the gym, but there's no guidance. Give them that guidance there, just to be like, when they have that free time, what do they do then? How do they increase what they're already doing? Well, 
let let's say they have let's just say they have you know eight to ten weeks of mm-hmm. a period that they want to focus on building muscle. Yeah. So in that eight to ten weeks, what I would say is break that down into maybe two periods. One is to build a bit of strength that will come first. The second period of you know four to five weeks will be to purely focus on building muscle. So the first first period of four to five weeks building strength, you're, you know, more than likely you're still going to build muscle in that period. Yeah. But you're, you're really just going to set yourself up for that next four to five week period where, you know, you're going to make the most gains. So in the first period, your rep range is, let, let's say, three to eight in yeah. general. And you're still going to be hitting those, those main movements. So, you know, maybe squat, lunge, hinge, uh, push, pull, maybe a carry, and then some maybe core work yeah uh, in in that rep range rest is going to be really high um your your overall intensity is going to be a little bit higher so it's going to fit into that rep range nicely and you're going to stick around maybe 85 percent to about 95 percent of your your max weight that you can lift in the second period then which is let's say weeks like five to ten or whatever it is five to eight you're going to be increasing the reps, possibly increasing the frequency. Uh, you're going to be increasing the overall volume. So you're still hitting those same movements, but you may add in maybe some isolation movements. You might add in some kind of assistance work. Um, whatever you can do just to increase the volume slightly. The main thing is that you're doing that on a gradual um you know you're doing that gradually and you're doing that progressively and very very slowly so you know when you're at the point of week five or week six you are let's say you're let's say you're you're still lifting you know 85 percent when you're at week 10 you might gradually gradually bring that intensity down and you might gradually gradually uh put the reps up okay so so if you if you look at it if you look at volume as weights by reps by sets, so you know the load you're lifting multiplied by the total number of sets multiplied by the total number of reps, that's your that's your overall volume. So what I would do is calculate your target volume for each week, and maybe add on maybe five percent each week, something like that. Something yeah. Very small. Yeah. So you know, um, week week six, week five or six, whatever it is let's let's say you know your your volume is just say 100 just for the sake of maths you know you're adding on week in week seven you're at 105 you know week uh week eight you're at 110 this percentages okay so then when you get to week week 10 or week whatever it is you know you're at you know 120 or whatever the percentage is but it's that gradual thing um overload yeah, exactly. And you can you can get overload in really, you know, many different ways. Uh, you know, even if it's in that equation, it's adding on more sets, adding on more reps. As long as that on. number goes up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, run that bias again, John, because that's a key point, I think. I think that's huge for even their players or coaches recommending to players or even just people in general to build muscle. That, that what's it called? Ian? Could you do the calculation? The, yeah, so by volume, like there's a few different ways of of um, calculating volume, but I think the easiest probably to remember and to understand is just the weight you're lifting. So let's say you're doing a bench press. So the weight yeah. you're lifting, let's say it's 80 kilo um, by the number of sets you're doing. So let's say you're doing three sets. Yeah. By the number of reps. So let's say you're doing 10, uh, 10 reps. So you're going to be multiplying 80 by three by 10. And that's your volume for for that set. And you just gradually increase that over time, and you'll exactly. see improvement. But what exactly. about just just before we're near the end now? But just before the end, I just want to touch on what about in terms of overdoing it? Remember, I was overdoing. It. I was overdoing. It. I was going to the gym and I was doing twenty five sets on shoulders a week. I might do eighteen, nineteen on chest. I was doing chest burnout sessions. Maybe a bit, a little bit of taking it off Instagram or TikTok, not good for you. I can re- recommend from that because there's a lot of bad information out there. John, what was I doing wrong in that? Because I was getting a lot of volume in, but what was I doing wrong? 
Yeah, well, what you were doing, I suppose, well, you know, simply it was just too much volume. Like, more volume is better in the context of the whole program. But, you know, you're depending on your ability and your training age, you're going to hit an upper threshold around maybe 20 sets, maybe 25 sets. But those 20 or 25 sets, like, that should be a very brief stint in your overall program. So, like, what, what we did when, you know, when we first started was we brought the overall volume down and then we gradually just increased it. So the overall number of sets, you know, for someone who's kind of relatively new to this, like we're talking yeah, yeah. and they're training twice a week, uh, you know, they're, they're not really, like, 10 sets is probably going to be enough. And then maybe increase On a, that. muscle group. Uh, 10 sets per each muscle group exactly yeah. per week per week per week yeah so and then maybe a gradual increase as they get more comfortable with the movements you know and as their their muscles and, and everything gets a little bit more robust and used to used to these movements um but you know it, it's again it's about playing around with it and you know really just testing out you know what works but in in reality it's probably going to be less than you think, you know. So, you know, if you if you think you're you're able for 15 to 20 sets, start out at 10 and gradually bring it up and and work it that way rather than doing your 15 to 20. And you know, maybe maybe you're okay for a couple of weeks, but then week three, week four, you're you know, you're just drained and it's impacting your your sports specific section. I remember that. I you you knew what I was like. I was coming I was drained, wasn't I? I was running as well with it. I remember it was during the lockdown and I I was really, really tired all the time. And yeah. I was trying to get in food, but I was also trying to cut my weight because I was too heavy and I was I was really, really you saw me, John. T- t- tell them what I was like. I was Yeah, it's like it yeah, it's it's tough when you're when you're at that kind of stage or when you're at that like you you were just you were definitely overtraining. I mean, yeah, like even even for those periods where you were feeling okay, maybe towards the start of that kind of style of training, like even if you're feeling okay, it's not something that you can you can prolong. And if no. we're like a big thing that we're talking about is progressing, you know, you know, and overloading in a very gradual way. Like there's no there's no progressing what you were doing. Like you were at your very We'll say upper upper threshold. You were yeah, you know, yeah. you were at that and probably a little bit past it. So, you know, there there's no way of progressing that. If you progress that, you're you know, you're it's not gonna work. No, I it it almost just leads to burnout and muscles won't grow because muscles aren't really given time to recover. Yeah, and there's no there's no harm as well in let's say your upper threshold just for the for the sake of of this example is 20 sets per week and it's again it's going to vary as well depending on you know your the like your own body so like you might be able for more sets on legs or whatever but let's say it's 20 sets like there's no there's no harm and it's probably you know more beneficial to let's say for a 12 week program to stay well below that 20 sets and maybe for the last week or maybe for the last two weeks to go up a little bit higher uh, towards that 20 sets mm-hmm. you know so 20 sets is your upper threshold maybe start out at like 12 sets or something um, maybe do like three weeks at 12 sets three weeks at 15 sets you know I- increase it like that yeah. yeah yeah and that's you know sets are just one way of of progressing obviously as well and come here we need we need I'm, I'm aware we are on a bit of a time limit here so I just want to finish up with two main things. First of all, I want to ask you, John, for the coaches, for the players, for the audience listening, give me three easy to understand main key points that uh, that the audience can take away from this, that they can go, yeah, and introduce straight into their own coaching. Okay. Um, for For the coaches... Uh, did you say three points? Yeah, however many you have. Three is just a rough estimate. I didn't want to put yeah. you under pressure. Okay, well, let's, okay. So first of all, in terms of coaches, training has to be specific to the exact demands 
that a player will be placed under in a competition setting. So the the coach has to has to break down, you know, let's say it's a 90 minute soccer match. The coach has to break down exactly what movements and what intensities and you know uh, what frequencies that player is placing his body under. So whether it's you know sprinting mm-hmm. and then jogging for a minute and then resting, whatever it is, the player needs to match um, training as a whole, not just sports specific training, but training as a whole to exactly what they find in in that analysis. Yeah. Um, and then another thing within the same point is to reassess this regularly. So that that even could change within season, you know. So yeah, at different intensities, uh, different periods of the season, you know, if there's if there's a lot of matches and both teams are a little bit more fatigued, that could change. Um, another thing is to make sure that the same protocol and the same the same specifics of training is not applied throughout the whole team. So again, if you take soccer. Not every player in not every player is placing themselves under the exact same demands in a competition setting. So, you know, a, a striker is going to be different to a centre back, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever else. So, those, um, those that specific training protocol needs to be applicable and appropriate to each specific player and specific position. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's going to be different in terms of the emphasis on strength and, you know, even building muscle and then power and balance, whatever else. Um, another point then for the coaches is to plan out the season in advance. Or and what do you mean by plan out? So, well, a different. So at the start of the season, well, let's start off in, in pre-season. So pre-season is going to be obviously a place or a time to to gain back, you know, the, the physical ability that they, they had previous. So they should have rested for a period, recovered. Um, then in preseason, that's when they, they start the training that, is re- that resulted from the needs analysis. Yeah, so John, when they come in for preseason, should they be absolutely murdered in the gym and on the pitch or should they start off gradually and be built up? Well, no, the, the same... The same would apply. So the same would apply well, to what we're talking yeah. about, the muscle building. So it's a progressive thing. Like, I mean, they can be pushed at this period because this is all they're doing and they've no they've no um matches. Other commitments like matches, exactly. But they should they still shouldn't be uh, you know, at that upper threshold for too long. So they can be at that upper threshold, but they just have to make sure that they can recover and you know they can recover from that upper threshold yeah. and lead into then the the competition. Uh, so yeah, so then at the start of competition when they're still relatively fresh, there might be a period of maybe a month where they're getting used to that intensity of you know the the in competition intensity we'll say. But then let's say in a soccer season, um, if the season is from like August or September to about May. Like that period of, you know, from maybe September, October to Christmas, they're going to be able for, you know, their strength work outside of the gym. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be relatively yeah. low intensity for what they're able to do, all that's being equal. But then after Christmas, that's probably going to have to be tapered down. Um, so the sports specific stuff is probably going to, the sports specific uh, train or sports specific matches is probably going to take over because that's going to that's going to make up a big portion of their energy output. So right. you know, obviously, you have limited resources. So the strength stuff and the the power stuff, which hopefully was developed earlier on in the season, that's going to be tapered down a little bit. And then as you get to the end of the season. Uh, you know, energy levels are going to be very low. Um, so maybe the strength stuff, it, rather than it actually helping and benefiting the athlete, doing the strength stuff at more than even a, a very small intensity may just hinder the the competition setting. Cool. Now, John, do you have any more points? 
Um, for the coaches, one actually one more point for the coaches yeah. is that I know I mentioned those those movements of so the main movements, the squat and the hinge and etc. Yeah. etc. Et but I also said that athlete every athlete is different and the specific demands of the athletes are important. So for some athletes, they may have weaknesses and you know some of their muscles and joints and movements may not be as robust as as others just from previous injuries or underdeveloped muscles or whatever it is. So sometimes those those kind of big compound movements um, need to be supplemented with you know more isolation work like and i don't mean machines and like leg extensions and yeah uh bicep curls or whatever what i mean is more like kind of uh like let's say someone has a weak hip flexors yeah like, that's not really going to be worked effectively in any of those movements or uh maybe like adductors or abductors those kind of muscles um for some people it is important that they work them for other for other people i think those main compound movements uh, are enough but that'll that'll come out of the the needs analysis and the gap analysis the coaches should so basically to summarize that point coaches should look for those weaknesses yeah uh, and yeah. see if they can analyze them so say just say just for example maybe one that may be a basic one for understanding is say they were they weren't shielding the ball well, or maybe they had weak shoulders and maybe some sort of shoulder exercise would you say would be more beneficial for that yeah yeah like at the start of the season when they're doing their their needs analysis they're going to be like that needs analysis is going to be as specific as possible so if they find that this person has weak shoulders relative to the rest of their muscles then you know shoulders probably should be in some way em emphasized um because whether whether they whether they can see that on the pitch or not at some point if there's a, a weakness in the chain, you know, whether it be shoulders or glutes, calves, whatever, even joints, like if they have weak, you know, ankles or knees or whatever, that needs to be addressed before before they, it actually comes up in a competition or be, before it comes up in the context of an injury. Yeah. Because that can, yeah, obviously this situation, there's actually a situation that reminds me of this, that John has actually helped my friend Aaron. Uh, on who has a weak back who has had an injured back he used to play for in he plays football at a decently high level in ireland and he's obviously struggled with it john you've helped design a program to help suit him so i know firsthand the work that john does and how it actually can help people recover from injuries in these certain settings or weaknesses just general weaknesses because uh my friend has always had a, a bit of a bad back and this has actually helped him progress in terms of that he still has to see a physio and he still has to but john's program has helped a lot john before we go quick fire quickly summarize for me or sum up for me goalkeepers how can goalkeepers improve just two positions i just picked off the top of my head three little things how what did goalkeepers work on the gym bang 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 agility acceleration and explosiveness strikers uh top speed acceleration top speed and overall strength one more center mids center mids tell you what center attacking midfielders center attacking we're really testing them now this is the higher level stuff well i suppose it depending on the the style of play like for for midfielders kind of lateral movement might be important it's going to be important for everyone like everyone should have that base but for midfielders you know that lateral movement where you're moving side to side that's going to be important that's not really a component of fitness that's more specific movement what are the center attacking mid who treks back constantly a stevie g stevie g i suppose uh, overall aerobic capacity is going to be a big one for them uh, you know, they're not going to have the same... So working on your uh, generic fitness. Yeah, like they're not going to have the same uh, time to recover as like a striker or a goalkeeper or something. You know, so while sprint speed, acceleration, uh, you know, top speed and power, all that sort of stuff is important. 
the aerobic capacity really is going to be a big one for them because if they're if that's their weakness, all the other ones are going to be hindered as well. John, I could chat to you all day about this because as much as we do chat, we never usually chat about this sort of thing. But I'm sure the audience here will have more questions for you. Tell us where we can find you. Uh, yeah, so on on Instagram, it's functional good fitness. Um, that's probably in terms of social media, that's probably the best one for me. I try not to be on it too much. Um, but probably to be honest, that's the best social media, but the best way of contacting me is probably at my email, which is john at functionalgoodfitness.com. Um, and then the website is just functionalgoodfitness.com. Perfect. And we will put up links to all those in our description of this podcast and we'll put them on our social media as well. John, yeah. thanks so much. I really appreciate yeah. it, mate. R- really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Good stuff. I had We had a great chat there. I really enjoyed that. And we're yeah, going to put up the too. key points that are summarised and coaches if if you need someone to come in if you if you can't uh, set up a plan for your for your teams in terms of actual fitness in terms of building strength in gym even if it's for individuals contact john it says functional good fitness but as you can see from this podcast there are many many more layers to that business than is uh, than you initially get from reading john thanks so much take Thank it you. easy mate you too